Don't Look Now, the podcast with your hosts, Will Hegeman and Jenny McDonald. Jenny is definitely worse for the wear. So Will's taking the lead this week. Will, give All right. me an idea. I will, I will take over here since I'm the one that actually has a voice today. <laughs> so yeah, we're mixing it up today because Jenny is shot. She weeded some stuff in her yard that did not agree with her. And now she can't talk. So <laughs> I get to talk extra this time. So I came up with a topic. Jenny has no idea what the hell I'm about to talk about, which is fun. A rare one. This has only happened one time before. So bear with me, everybody, because I have no idea what I'm about to do either. So let's see here. So Jenny, some hints. This is generally kind of up your alley to some extent. So famous scientific rivalry and dinos. Well, there's only like one. <laughs> That's a big hint, but yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I think you just knocked that one right out of the park. Yeah, I gave the fossil. You don't know what I'm doing. Stuff. Hmm? Is it fossil wars? Yep, yep. The bone wars with. Yeah. So this is, this is fun. I always enjoy scientific rivalry stories because I don't know anything that generally humanizes scientists because you always get this impression that they're not normal people and actually they're a bunch of wackos so it's very entertaining when they start doing crazy things so so this is one of the classics like one of the greatest scientific rivalry sort of stories of all time so for those that haven't heard of it so the bone wars basically refers to this rivalry between edward drinker cope and i always have a fun time saying his name othniel charles marsh so cope and marsh are the two paleontologists that basically got into this crazed competition that basically kind of ran amok, but also ended up giving us all kinds of fossil finds because they were trying to do outdo each other in any way, shape, or form. So they found tons and tons of stuff, but also the entire time tried to sabotage each other, badmouth each other, get each other thrown in jail, whatever they could possibly do to screw with the other guy. So so it's a fun one to talk about. So it's kind of like a legit academia thing, like yeah. the fierce competition. But I think I love the tried to throw each other in jail statement the most. Yeah, just, just, I mean, just anything that they could trying to get each other in trouble, stealing from each other, breaking into each other's things. You know, one person trying to get the other in trouble because of their federal position and trying to see if they could get them in trouble for mismanagement of it, you know, a little Little of everything. So not just like bad mouthing and scientific papers, but, you know, underhandedness, underhandedness all around. So it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting one. So kind of, you know, basic idea of this is it ended up leading to about 140 different species getting discovered because they were both trying to find anything they possibly could to get it over on the other guy. And uh, it also ended up with basically both of them being financially bankrupt and both of their reputations completely shot in the end, which is also kind of what you expect from this, I guess, but they, they both basically just destroyed each other. Um, so the final numbers, you basically ended up with Cope found 56 species and Marsh found 80. And this is just wow. dinosaurs. They found thousands of species of all kinds of different paleo things, but that's just straight 
straight dinosaurs. So basically every famous dinosaur in North America that everybody's heard of was discovered by one of the others. So like Triceratops, Allosaurus, Stegosaurus, Diplodocus, Apatosaurus, Brontosaurus, all those are all Cope Marsh finds. So, so pretty cool. All right. So, so with these guys, probably maybe best way to start with it is give you a kind of the, the brief bibliography on each one of them. So, so Cope, um, he was born in 1840 in Philadelphia. And you can kind of char- characterize him as kind of the wealthy patrician sort of guy. So he was basically born into a wealthy family, um, basically had a Quaker background. He wanted to be a scientist, but his dad wanted him to be, you know, the gentleman farmer run, you know, run the family plantation sort of thing. Like, you know, be a patrician, that sort of thing. So wait, they were, what year was this, Will? So he was born in 1840. So this is, so his kind of coming of age is right before civil war sort of stuff. So it ends up, they both actually end up meeting basically in Europe during the civil war. And then all kinds of crazy stuff happens. But so basically he's, after about 16, when he really wants to get into stuff, his dad wants nothing to do with it. So he kind of goes off and becomes self-taught. So he just starts reading papers on things, is interested in paleontology, reads all the paleontology papers, and just starts writing papers and submitting them. Because you know this is still kind of back in that time where if you were fairly wealthy and whatever else, you could just you know be a gentleman that writes papers to scientific you know, communities and correspond or whatever. So he just kind of starts doing this. And then when the civil war breaks out, he ends up heading to Europe to study. And it's kind of debatable whether it just happened to be that time or it was like, you know, I don't really want to fight in the civil war. I think I'll go study dinos in Europe. You know, whatever you might think, that's kind of, kind of how it went down. Um, Marsh, on the other hand, he's a little bit older. He's eight years older. Born 1831 in New York. And basically, you could kind of say he is more classically educated, but comes from a poor background. So he went to Yale, um, but ended up getting funded by like a wealthy uncle that ended up donating money later. But, you know, when he grew up, he was not moneyed. Um, You know, graduated from Yale in 1860 and went off to Europe. And Basically, you could kind of characterize him as he, yeah, was more classically educated, but he was also more your ivory tower academic. He didn't really have much interest in getting in the field. People were saying that, like, he went to Wyoming later and just was tripping over dinosaurs and didn't even know what they were. He just basically liked looking at specimens and paid other people to get them sort of thing. Whereas Cope was more the guy that liked to get out there and dig stuff and do crazy things. So, so we would classify the one as a armchair paleontologist. Yeah. So it's interesting because their backgrounds, the one is like classically leisurely wealthy, but he's actually kind of the more adventure type. And the other one basically kind of grew up poor, got all the education, but then is like more the armchair, like, hey, I like to write papers about these things. I like studying it, but I don't want to go out there and dig stuff in a hot sun. That's what I pay poor people to do. So, yeah, that's an interesting dynamic there. Yep. And he came into money. Like I said, he had this rich uncle, George Peabody, that basically just paid to have a museum built at Yale for him to display stuff in. So, 
even though he didn't grow up wealthy, he ended up having the super wealthy uncle that just bought him a museum and then gave him a bunch of money to basically spend on anything he wanted to put in it. So now all of a sudden he's the guy at Yale with the Yale museum behind him. that can just go buy fossils. So, so yeah, so you kind of got these two opposing kind of personalities and they run into each other in Europe. So they first meet up in Berlin in 1863, kind of right in the middle of the civil war. And, you know, kind of the classic thing is they both initially really liked each other. So they got along really well. They hung out. They corresponded with each other. Interestingly, like each one named a fossil after the other. So Cope named the Colostus Marshi, about a meter long proto amphibian after Marsh, and Marsh named a Mosasaur, Mosasaurus Copanius. So, like, they both named finds after each other. They were best of buds. They were like, hey, you know, we're two cool dudes avoiding the war, digging up dinosaurs. This is cool hanging out in Europe. And then of course, like the falling out happens. And this was interesting because I mean, I looked at different sources and every single one of them kind of had a different version of what happened. (laughs) I love that. So yeah. Had one that was just like the sources are unknown. Another one that gave a story of one doing one thing and the other, the other, and another one having the exact reverse, like just change the names flip flopped and it's there. But It seemed to be generally agreed that there was a falling out that basically a bunch of fossils were found in a quarry and the quarry person sent fossils to both of them. And where it's debatable is basically I read one thing where basically Cope found out that Marsh bribed the guy not to send Cope any fossils from the place and only send it to Marsh. And I read another one where it said that Cope bribed the guy to send things only to Cope and not to Marsh. So my bet is they both did it. Right. <laughs> the guy pocketed money from both of them, sent fossils to both of them. And each one found out that the other had bribed this guy not to send them the fossils and basically started hating each other. And it just got worse and worse and worse. So that seems to be their big falling out is this like bribery to try to get the fossil find from some quarry. But like I said, Every, everything I looked at had some different version of who bribed the guy and whatever else. So, so, and as you'll see later, basically they both suck. There's not like one of them is a nice guy that doesn't do anything bad. And the other guy is trying to, you know, they just basically are both trying to screw each other over constantly. So, so yeah, my, my bet is, yeah, they both, they both tried to pull the same thing and found out each one found out the other was dirty and, uh, didn't like each other anymore. So there you go. But uh, so after this, they, yeah, they start hating each other and then they kind of get into their stereotypes that, like I said, Cope is born rich. So he thinks of Marsh as this upstart plebeian that, you know, like, Hey, you're, you're not a gentleman. You're just this middle-class guy that thinks he's smart, but you're an idiot, you know, and Marsh is, a, you know, hey, you haven't had any classical changing. You're a moron. You're just want to chase after dinosaurs and you think you can because you were born rich. And they basically both just harp on this for the rest of their lives. So, so yeah, I mean, they resort to like bribing people to try to like get fossils away from each other. They try to steal each other's fossils. They try blowing up each other's fossils. So I think there was actually someone tried to dynamite the other person's stuff like you know in in the, in the field like in the museum or in the field in the field i think they tried to you know basically well there was a dig going on like 
blow up some of the stuff. To be yeah, fair, you know. though, to get through some of the strata, you might have to use dynamite. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it's going to be around. And if it's around, then you can easily use it to intentionally destroy yeah. some of the fossils that were there or whatever else. So, so yeah, you know, and basically at the same time, they're each trying to basically destroy each other's reputation. So every paper they write is basically denigrating the other one. It's not just, I'm going to publish my idea, but I have to publish my idea while saying the other person's a moron. Absolutely. Yeah. And all the way to the point that, you know, at one point, you know, they, uh, Marsh ends up basically being part of the U.S. Geological Survey, along with uh, Powell, who Lake Powell is named after. And Cope is trying to dig up dirt to get them thrown in jail because of, you know, misdeeds of handling money or whatever else. It's it's just over the top crazy. And in the meantime, it sounds like the rest of the scientific community is just appalled (laughs) and is just kind of watching as all this unfolds and doesn't even know what to do. So. But in the meantime, they wrap up a crap ton of dinosaur finds. So, um, so yeah, they basically, you know, at one point their workers were attacking each other with rocks. <laughs> so they got into a rock fight. What? Um, Cope was caught jimming open Marsh's crates in a warehouse. Um, you know, bunch of bunch of fun. I was looking for anecdotes of what exactly happened, and those were some of the things that went down. But between them, they took the the number of known American species of dinosaurs. When they started, there were nine, and they ended up with 150. So they found a crap ton of species. But they also were, because they were just trying to outdo each other, they were super sloppy in identification of remains. So they would just, whatever they got, they would call it a new dinosaur, whether it was new or not. Like, hey, I got a leg. This must belong to something new, you know? Right. This isn't a brontosaurus. This isn't a patasaurus. You know, you got to, you know, brontosaurus and a patasaurus has been screwed up ever since. But my favorite thing was there is basically one specific species, um, Unitheres anceps, which is basically one of those early rhinoceros like animals that had multiple lumps on their face that you'll see sometimes, you know, post, post dinosaur, large mammal time. Um, that's between them, they discovered it 22 times because each time they labeled it as a new animal and they had to basically go through and pair those 22 animals that they had both claimed to have discovered. And every single one of them was just this one animal. So they had to, people spent decades and decades and decades trying to basically pare down all the discoveries they said they had to actually find out what real animals they did had. And they did find a lot of stuff, but yeah, it's, it's crazy Wait, because they were. Does that change their final numbers then? No. So those final numbers are the final numbers after everything okay. has been pared down. Okay. So, so yeah. So I think, you know, they discovered hundreds, you know, like few two or 300 or something during their lifetime. And it, you know, it's been whittled down to 150 between them now. You know, they were sitting up late at night trying to come up with a new name for the same animal that they kept. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. This is the Giantstompisaurus uh, Rex. <laughs> yes, this is clearly not the same one. It's something new. Um, so yeah, it's taken forever to try to sort the taxonomy out. There, I guess there are even some cases where the people are still messing with it, trying to figure out whether some of the things they discovered were truly new 
new finds or not. And that's something that I always amazes me is like somebody, somebody will find a thigh bone and they're like, this is clearly a new dinosaur. And I'm always yeah. like, how do you know, even if it doesn't match anything, how do you know it's not just a juvenile, whatever, you know, it, it's all those things. Take yeah. Yeah. This guy's just had, had bone issues, but yeah, yeah. There's so many weird things that, tend to get sorted out over time when people find more fossils and find out whether it's really new or not, but all that is still being worked on. But yeah, they were crazy prolific. So Cope had about 1400 papers that he published. Jesus. Yeah. And had about 1300 total species found across, you know, all types. So we were talking dinosaurs before, but just everything. Man, they obviously had a rigorous peer review process. Yeah. <laughs> There's again, remember, he has no PhD. He is just a, a gentleman scholar that is writing all of these things. And Cope does, and of course, is rubbing that constantly in his face and calling him a moron. And, you know, but Mark, I guess Marsh is the, one, the more educated PhD guy, but Marsh has about half as many. So probably 700 ish papers and whatever. So, yeah, it's crazy. So, yeah, you got all this going, the whole scientific community is just kind of holding their breath and trying to stay out of the way. <laughs> and yeah, it, uh, it's wild, but, uh, yeah, they, they hate each other a ton. And of course it kind of leads to their ruin because eventually Cope comes into an inheritance in like 1875 and basically blows it on bad investments in silver mines and ends up poor ends up living in this one room boarding house with all of his fossils and dies in 1897. And Marsh is at least a little better off, but basically his reputation ends up ruined after all of this and no one wants anything to do with him. And he ends up dying in his mansion in New Haven, Connecticut in 1899. So two years later. So they finally, finally basically expended all emotional capital they had with anybody anywhere. And nobody, nobody wanted anything to do with either of them. And wow. they eventually both pass away right before the turn of the century. So, but it's, uh, it's pretty wild. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. A lot of the fossils that they were finding, they may have only found one of a particular species and yep. part of it. So they could have claimed multiple species. Yep. It's really to find two or three to identify a full species, right? Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, it gets... Yeah, so I think they're claiming every every new thing they find, they're trying to claim as a new species. Right. And yeah, they've got to find multiples, and they're both finding the same species. But if some, the other one had found it before, they would just change the name and claim it's something different. Right. And, you know, and that's, if I recall, that's the whole Brontosaurus Apatosaurus thing was, you know, because I grew up with Brontosaurus being a thing. Right. And I remember, like, when I was... A little older, I was like, no, Brontosaurus isn't even, doesn't even exist. Apatosaurus is the thing. Apatosaurus was around. What people called a Brontosaurus was actually an Apatosaurus. And I think those were a Cope Marsh mix-up. And the interesting thing is more recently, Brontosaurus has come back because now they've identified some of the fossils again as, no, it really is a different species. So now there really is a separate Brontosaurus again, but uh but yeah, I mean, these things are always kind of in flux and, you know, you've got a better idea than I do, but I think these are the things that people fight tooth and nail over as, you know, 
major arguments about whether something is truly a new species or not, or whether it should be classified as something else, or even if it's a species, where should it be on the, where should the taxonomy be? Where should it be in the tree? Should it be under this? Should it be under the, yeah, it's, it's all, it gets super heated. Or some of the funniest fights in archaeology. (laughs) Like, I guess, and I, I mean, this is just from stories I've read, but at several conferences, there's a contingency of lumpers and um, can't think of the other word right now, but they lump certain species in one way and then they branch in the other, right? Mm-hmm. It's all part of the out of Africa stuff. Yeah. And I guess in conferences, they will literally, the two factions will get up and just scream at each other and then afterward go get trashed together. <laughs> like nothing just happened. <laughs> nice. I can, I can see that for sure. Archaeologists are very interestingly social people. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, it's just interesting in academia how upset people get about things. And yes, there's always that inverse relationship between how trivial the thing you're doing truly is in the grand scape of people's lives and how bent out of shape people get about it. I mean, you go in and you look at people that are doing cancer research, they get nowhere near as pissed as each other as somebody who's trying to classify some ancient remains as either this or that, are they both under this umbrella? Are they separate things? And people, yeah. Yeah. It's like just. There doesn't seem to be a lot of space for people in academia. Like if you look Mm -hmm. at how the feuds start, it's like, Oh no, only one person can occupy this fairly minimal region. (laughs) Like it's okay. Multiple people can do this research. That's how you, verify it's real yeah yeah i can see that you lay claim to something and you don't want somebody else taking some of your stuff and saying it's something else so they can do it yeah but you want them to also say that yeah they got the same results so it's legitimate (laughs) yeah yeah i mean that's that is an interesting thing with science and peer review and actually repetition of experiment that's you know very few people actually repeat experiments yep that's one thing that i've talked about with amy is like when publishing something, if you repeat a previous experiment, nobody wants to publish it because it's not interesting. Yeah. Like, well, that's not of interest. It's already been done. And it's like, but it needs to be verified, you know. And in, like in human re- human subject research, you have to do it with different demographics. Yeah. So what worked for little white five-year-old boys is not going to work for little African-American girls. Like, could have a yeah. whole different span and experience. And what yep. works in the U.S. isn't going to work in the Sahara. You know, like, researchers just don't want to admit that, though. Yeah. yeah. That all of our research is so culture-bound. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, this uh, this brings up, I've got a few different rabbit holes to go down, but oh, some are directly about, about Cope and Marsh. But uh, one of my favorite, it's kind of one of my favorite, I don't know if you call it a scientific rivalry, one of my favorite stories out of optics. And there, there are actually several fun optic stories, but was basically going way back to the whole, you know, is light a particle or a wave? So, you know, originally you had Newton that basically was the whole lights, corpuscular nature of light, lights, little particles that shoot out and go in a straight line. And that's how light works. You shine your flashlight on something and the little bits of light go firing out and bounce off of stuff. And that's how you see. And it makes sense. And everybody, since Newton was Newton, just kind of went with it. And then after the fact, you had people that were basically saying, okay, well, 
we could explain a lot of optical phenomena as waves. So maybe light is a wave. And they had a competition in France to basically, you know, for new cool theories. And basically Fresnel was this young engineer that basically came up with his, you know, wave nature of light explanation and said, okay, you know, all these things we do, light's a wave. If we treat it as a wave, all these things work, worked out the math, submitted it. And basically Poisson, who was one of the people that was judging the competition, one of the head peoples of like the Royal Society there, looked at it and went through the math and he was a big, you know, particle guy. So of course he had to find a way to prove this wrong. So he pours through everything, trying to find something that's wrong. And he basically says, okay, well, if we look at all this, if you've got a perfectly round object, if light is made out of waves, if you hold, you know, block the light with this round object, there'll be a bright spot in the middle because all the waves are going to add up in the middle of the shadow and every round shadow should have a bright spot in the middle of it. So clearly your math is bullshit because bright spots don't exist in the middle of round shadows. So ha, you know, checkmate. I win. It's not waves. You're wrong. And then basically the guy who's judging the whole thing, whose name is Arago basically checked (laughs) and got light, got it nice and monochromatic, got a round thing, looked at it. And lo and behold, there's a bright spot in the middle of it. And, you know, because it was just no one had really looked. And you're like, hey, when you actually look, there's really a bright spot there. Holy crap, it actually works. And my my favorite thing about it is what they call the bright spot, because it all depends. <laughs> it's got three different names. So it's either the Fresnel spot for Fresnel, who predicted it, or it's the Arago spot because Arago saw it, or it's the Poisson spot just as an FU to Poisson because he said it couldn't be there. So so I love it when it gets referred to as the Poisson spot, because it's basically a, he said this doesn't exist and there it is. So now it's Poisson spot, but yeah, get stuck with that one for the rest of your life is, you know, the thing named after you because you said it couldn't exist. That's. I think that's my favorite form of retribution. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So good times, but yeah, you get, you get all these, you know, people have all kinds of different motivations for wanting to prove or disprove something. And a lot of times it has nothing to do with the science. <laughs> it's just like, this is my pet thing. So I'm going to find out some way to make sure that anything that counters it is wrong. And, you know, all that kind of stuff that sets all kinds of things back for decades. It gets, it gets fun. <laughs> all right. So anyway, back to our, our cope marsh little rabbit hole here is what one of my things that I think is absolutely crazy is basically before cope died his big last final wish is he wanted to be the type specimen for homo sapiens so so for those out there like anytime you got a fossil find or whatever else you have the official type specimen like you know if you have stegosaurus usually the first stegosaur found will be the type fossil that defines stegosaurs and every everything has a type you know, type specimen, except for Homo sapiens, because there wasn't a first human being found. We're already here studying ourselves. So there is no fossil human find that is the official human being. So his big thing that he wanted to have happen after he died was he wanted to become the official human being type specimen. So they wanted him to, you know, strip down his bones and keep him in the drawer as the official human being prototype. 
So he doesn't have any ego problems. No, whatsoever. not at all. So, <laughs> so with this, basically, finally, you know, he dies in 1897 and has, you know, wills his remains to the Worcester Institute in Philadelphia for them to make him the type specimen. And they go through and prepare his bones for display and everything. And as they're doing it, they basically find that his bones show, you know, basically symptoms of incipient syphilis <laughs> and decide that they don't really want the human prototype to have syphilis. So he basically gets denied and stuck in a drawer somewhere. So that was the, I, the end of his attempt to be the prototypical human. So I would love to look at these bones again and determine if the other guy tried to pay off this <laughs> so that they said he had syphilis when he didn't. Yep. Like, we need to re-examine these bones. Oh, yeah. And just to make it even more exciting. So one of his last things that he did before he died, as you <laughs> tell how big a jerk he was, was he basically, when he donated everything, he donated his skull to science as part of this. With the understanding that they had to basically measure his brain cavity with the express intent that basically to show that it was larger than Marsh's. So whenever Marsh died, they wanted a challenge to have them both measure their skulls so that he could show that his brain was bigger than Marsh's. Because at the time, you know, basically skull CC was considered to be directly proportional to intelligence, which it's not the case, but... But yeah, and apparently Marsh never took the bait, so <laughs> didn't ever have anyone measure his 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 brain size. So wait, how but, many CCs did Cope have? I don't know. It did not say that I could see. Oh bummer. So yeah. So the the challenge went, you know, unfulfilled, and now yeah, again his bones still rest somewhere in Philadelphia. Well, I know what I'm doing next time I go. to. Yeah, and I saw something that people have challenged whether they're his bones or not. But uh, Robert Bacher, of all people, had even gone in and said that they're officially his based on, you know, various small fractures and other things that show up in his medical records. So so he is at least convinced that it really is cope in the drawer. So interesting. So there you go. And uh, it seems like the crazy stuff is all cope. So the other fun thing, fun story, if you want to call it he a fun story. He did have syphilis, so I mean... Yeah, he, he did have syphilis. He was batshit crazy. He did go broke trying to get silver mines. Right. And he did never actually earn an advanced degree. And on top of all this, basically, when the whole battle of the Little Bighorn was going on... Oh, Lord. Pope was busy sneaking around on native land trying to steal fossils at the exact same time up in Man- Montana and got warned off. And refused to leave, even though everything was going down because he was having luck pulling specimens out. So, yeah, because that would be the ideal place, actually. Yep. And apparently, Um, during all this, he got confronted by a band of Crow Indians who were going to get rid of him, but apparently, he befriended them by popping his false teeth in and out multiple times. And they thought it was hilarious (laughs) and let him go. So, there you go. That feels like the most amazing uh, Wild West story right there. Yeah. So, yeah, pretty pretty much insanity. And this is the guy that wanted to be the type specimen for human beings with his false teeth popping and syphilis. So, yeah. Now I really want to see his remains. Like, his <laughs> false teeth at that time would have been fascinating. Yeah. Like, was it a partial? Was it a full? Yeah, I don't know. Probably have a full. To look it up. Find out. This is the thing. So next time you're in Philly, you're going to have to look up and figure out if you can go see Cope. 
yeah, I know people. I can make this happen. There you go. Nice. But this is basically what I got on the Bone Wars. So, yeah, you got... You got people that hate each other. You got sabotage. You got general insanity. You got people going broke. I think the best part about this story is that they started out being really good friends. Yeah. Yep. They They learned each other's weaknesses and then they exploited the shit out of them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, it sounds like they were both highly unpleasant people that no one else wanted to deal with. I was just going to say, did either of them ever get married? Probably not. Based on the syphilis? I don't know. I think they did, but I can't remember. Something something to look up for sure. I mean, I can't imagine being their spouse or their offspring and being like, yeah, that idiot was my dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't say as much about Marsh, but it sounded like Marsh, No one by the end, no one would work with him because he refused to basically give anybody his results. So if he was doing something, he would not let anyone else see any of his work. He basically wouldn't give anyone credit. And, you know, everyone's just like, yeah, screw you. I'm not going to deal with you. So lots of paranoia. Got it. Yeah. So, so good times. Yeah. That's wild. So there you go. Cope and Marsh and the Bone Wars. These turn of the century, like men of leisure adventure tales. (laughs) They're always ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. They're, you know, I think at that time, yeah, if you, you had the, the money and the time and the lack of anything better to do and just wanted to go run around and do these things, then you got up to some crazy stuff. So it's interesting to think that they were doing archaeological digs around the time of the civil war. Yeah. Like that's a pretty impressive feat. Yeah, I, and I, I was talking it to feels like that would be something that fully occupied the country. You wouldn't have time to also. Yeah. Yep. Just sneak around out west and do all this while everybody else is occupied, you know. Yes. But yeah, I talked to Nika about it, and they're saying that she thinks that basically related to Cope and Marsh, but everybody at the time, that at the time, basically skulls were a big deal. Yeah. So everybody wanted to get the skull. To prove right. that it's an, you know, because that would be more kind of obvious proof it's a new species, but they wouldn't even bother digging up the rest of the dinosaur. Right. They'd just get the skull and run off. And then people would come by later and wouldn't be able to figure out what the hell animal it was because the skull would be missing and they would find fragmentary stuff. And it led to a lot of these issues of all these headless dinosaurs floating around and they were mixing the bones all up and everything because they really didn't care. They just wanted to get a species. Right. And yeah, just kind of insanity. So, well, and even trying to identify bone versus rock when it comes to a dinosaur fossil is yeah. not easy. I mean, that yeah. is a real challenge. And I've always been impressed with people that do that kind of work because yep. it's very granular. There's very little difference. Yeah, that is the thing that I think a lot of people don't realize is when we talk about fossils, they're not bones. bone is long long gone it's just rock it's all rock it's just rock that replaced the bone and is now there so it's the same you know if you've got limestone with a fossil in it the fossil's limestone it's just differently shaped limestone inside the other limestone and trying to separate out what is part of the fossil and what is part of 
the surrounding rock is crazy. So yeah, I something I have never dealt with. I can only imagine, but that's where you get everybody going through with dental picks and trying to figure out what. Well, you got to be careful with dental picks though, because you can easily scratch it. And then that causes people to think that it's an irregularity on the bone as well. Nice. Yeah. They also use acid baths to get some of the Mm. wrong stone off. Okay. um, So I sent Will an article about Thermopolis, Wyoming. Um, There's a giant dinosaur museum there. And I went there and it's first off, you're in the middle of nowhere and it's fantastic because it's on the site of a dig. You can actually go dig for the day with the paleontologists and it's pretty phenomenal. You get to see how they separate stuff and it's unbelievable that they're, and that was when I was doing a lot of archeology span and I thought how incredible what they were doing was just the attention to detail. Cause I, I would have failed miserably at this task. Yeah. <laughs> it's rough. I, you know, Having gone out, you know, I, I used to do a lot of just fossil hunting with my dad, you know, it was never, never dinosaurs because we were in Kansas. So it was generally shells and other aquatic life, but trying, you know, it was interesting developing the eye to see the fossils. Cause you come up to like a road cut and look, and just at first you'd just see a road cut. And then after a while you'd start seeing the fossils in it. And then once your, your eyes kind of got used to it, you're just could walk up and just see everything sitting there. You're like, oh yeah, there's crinoid stems. There's this, there's that, there's this. I mean, I just remember at first I couldn't distinguish anything and then it just kind of comes into view. And I can imagine all these people that have been doing it for decades and decades are just walking along and be like, that's bone, you know, and I cannot see that at all. That's what they were talking about. Marsh being in the middle of all this stuff, tripping over things that were bones and just not seeing them because it wasn't his actual thing. Yeah. It's like a magic eye. You see nothing until you see something. And then once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a cool feeling when it kind of comes into view and you're suddenly realizing what you're looking at. And you're like, whoa, that's cool. Well, I could see like out in Wyoming and Montana where you could easily trip over bones and not even realize it because mm-hmm. there's just enough ground cover that it's confusing. And the stone, like I said, I couldn't distinguish it easily. It would take me a while. Yeah. That's cool. So, yeah, I'd love to go out there sometime. I don't know if we'll get to get to the thing you sent us or not, but I'd love to head out to that museum and check it all out. So that'd be cool. Closest I've been is just, you know, Dinosaur National Monument, which is pretty amazing where they've got. Yeah, I'm pretty exposed. sure this was a four yeah. hour out of my way trip I went on. <laughs> <laughs> I did it for the dinosaurs, Will. Yeah. Did it for yep. the dinosaurs. yeah, I'm sure we will at some point. Yeah. Having, having was... a child that's in paleontology, I'm sure we will get there, but. It was a really cool experience, and I think Nico would really enjoy it. Yep, sounds cool. Well, all right. Well, I think that that wraps us up for my my well, you did attempt a great at a topic job. today. <laughs> did thanks good. for thanks for coming in. I know your voice is is shot and you're not feeling well, so but we're keeping our streak alive. So yeah, doing the thing. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening this week. As always, you know, rate, subscribe, review. Tell your friends about our podcast, and uh, we will catch you all in a week. Bye-bye, folks. Bye.